I can't clap because I'm holding a phone because my rig has changed dramatically in time. <laughs> Are you going to be all right? Is it comfortable? Yeah, uh, the worst comes to worst, I'll put it down and you'll just see my ceiling for a little bit. <laughs> Great. You're listening to Watching Movies at the Bar, a podcast about bar movies and movie bars. Bethy and our special guest, tonight to mark this momentous occasion, instead of drinking uh, a beer, I'm actually drinking a huge glass of authentic Bulgarian Miak. Bet you didn't think I could find any this season. <laughs> Finally. I'm so Is happy for you and for, for our Bulgarian listeners. That's right. Tonight we will be talking about Ernest Scared Stupid, uh, an underappreciated classic. Um, and we're really excited to be joined by Riley Stearns. Riley, welcome. Thank you for having me. Uh, so Riley is uh, a filmmaker, jujitsu master? No, just jujitsu guy. Jujitsu guy, uh, an all around sweetie. Um, he, he made two movies I love, Faults and the Art of Self-Defense, and he's working on uh, his upcoming film, Duel, which I'm, I'm very excited for. Um, and uh, it's going to be great to hang out for a bit. Yeah, it's going to be nice to drink a beer, and I, I think we picked a movie that, I don't know, it's going to be a really, really fun one to talk about, especially in the context of being sort of drunk at a bar. Speaking of uh, all of us picking out a, a, a beverage, we should say what we're all drinking. I'm Bethy, by the way. Hi. <laughs> Hi, podcast. I'm Bethy Squires. I'm on here, too. I'm drinking a, a Cutwater Tequila Paloma. It's a pre-mixed canned cocktail because I don't have time to make something. I'm very, very busy, very efficient. <laughs> what, what about you, Riley? Um, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, Yunta, Grapefruit Nosh IPA. Um, <laughs> U-I-N-T-A. U-I-N-T-A. And uh, I'm going to be drinking it out of my Stein that they gave <laughs> me in uh, Munich at the Munich Film Festival when we opened up the film festival with the Art of Self-Defense. Uh, and the Dachshund is holding a knife. <laughs> For listeners we... at home, I cannot stress enough how much <clears throat> this Dachshund has been given a knife. He's wearing little lederhosen, and on, on lederhosen there is always like a traditional like ceremonial dagger and I didn't know that was always the case but now that now I do. I vaguely remember that from like German 201 or something. It's a good thing the dachshund in the art of self defense did not have a knife. Uh might have might have changed the story a bit. I mean, who's to say? <laughs> uh, <laughs> what right. are you drinking, man? Oh, I'm uh, like I said, I'm drinking uh, a, a big glass of authentic Bulgarian Miak, which is uh, a, a fictional Bulgarian yogurt based drink um, that Ernest P. Worrell brandishes in this movie. I, I'm, I'm drinking a Heineken beer. Um, I got really into Heineken at the end of last year when I went on good, good friends of the podcast screen drafts 
to talk about Olivia Assayas' films, and in nearly every one of those, the characters are drinking Heineken. And I was working through his whole filmography, and after like three movies of seeing Heineken, I was like, okay, I've got to, I've got to hold a green bottle like that myself. So, I am, I am subject to products and 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 capitalism and the whole thing. Do you remember when Heineken was the only imported beer? That it was like the cool, classy thing to drink in TV and movies and stuff because it was the only beer that was ever imported. I didn't know. Literally, the only beer that was imported. When I when mean, was not that? literally, but it, oh, it was like, like the '80s and '90s, like you know, just before the micro. It was fancy. Brew. Yeah, yeah, before the beer boom. Essentially, this was the closest you were going to get to like actually nice beer. I think about um that line in the context of uh, Blue Velvet, where Kyle MacLachlan's character is drinking a Heineken and Dennis Hopper says, Heineken? Fuck that shit. Pops fucking Blue Ribbon. It's um, a great line. It's a great, it's a great line. That's cinema. Speaking of cinema, Riley, why Ernest Scared Stupid? Why was this your pick? Tell us a bit about your history with this one. Uh, well, briefly, I, I don't know if people know how it works, but you kind of said to me, pick a few movies and let's talk about what would be the best bet. And I picked three that I thought were fun movies to watch if you're in a raucous room, people recognize things about it, but even if they don't, there's visual appeal to the movie. There's something interesting happening. And uh, secretly was hoping that out of the three, you would pick Ernest. <laughs> um, I did. I, you sent me a couple of good <clears throat> options, but I, I, this jumped out at me. So the thing with Ernest, like, because one of my favorite things uh, to do when I'm the sad old guy eating food at a bar and watching <laughs> the, the Netflix via their, like, Cook's account uh, yeah. they've logged into uh, is when it's Halloween and there's, like, tons of horror movies playing all the time while you're eating and drinking and... I did like the idea of picking a horror movie, but then I also really enjoy like the slapstick stuff when it pops up on screen. And I think a bar can get behind that. And I think also with somebody, my I'm 34 and I feel like that age group of the sad guy at the bar is all around <laughs> maybe like the early to like early thirties and then onwards. And I, I think that there's definitely appreciation for Ernest in that sort of age group. And I just feel like that would be a really it's it's one that I actually have not watched at a bar. Out of the three, it was the only one that I hadn't actually uh, had the opportunity to see played in that format. But it just felt fun to me. And watching it at home, kind of leading up to this, I was I, I feel like I made the right choice. I feel like the second I get back to a bar setting, this is going to be the thing that I I request. Yeah, tell us a little bit more about your uh, bar movie watching, TV watching experiences. Oh man! That particular is there one that jumps out at you as like the defining oh. one? Why well, I, I told I mentioned to Thomas the uh, there are movies, but there are also things that you watch. And one thing that happened a couple of years ago was uh, there was a new Earth series that came mm-hmm. out on Netflix, and <laughs> there was a it was a room full of drunken people. Just like I forget if it was a holiday <laughs> or whatever it was, and our bartender Jackson. A uh, really good guy threw on th- an episode of that, and there was the baby iguana 
that hatches on a beach <laughs> and then immediately is chased by like a swarm of snakes. And so oh! you're yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It is. It's like three minutes of the best editing. It's like a, an incredible action scene, and it had the entire room up on their feet, <laughs> screaming and cheering. <laughs> like it was the most communal bar experience I think I've ever had in terms of watching something. But uh, yeah, man, I, uh, I I definitely went through a phase where like every single night, I, like I didn't want to talk to people, but I wanted to be around people when I was going through something. And so I just went and sat at the bar and would eat my food and then drink a beer and whatever they threw on, I would watch with credits or with the subtitles on. And uh, yeah, this, uh, this, I don't know. It's just one of those things that is kind of comforting to me. And uh, I, I, I love a good horror movie. I love a good comedy. They'll throw on something like a Die Hard or an action movie. And you can always just like, I don't know, especially when something's familiar, there, there's, there's a fun thing watching it with a group of people uh around you and everyone's like no one's talking to each other that's the other thing i love is that everyone's just like sitting in the glow of the screen and uh, every once in a while somebody will be like oh whoa like that was that was a cool part. i remember that or like i don't know that just that that weird acknowledgement of like oh we still are around people but we don't have to actually talk to these people i kind of like that yeah you're the perfect person to have on i didn't i didn't realize you had such an affinity for watching movies at the bar I mean, yeah, like not to go into detail, but I, a couple of uh, four years ago was going through some stuff and was just like, fuck, I just want to like not be in my apartment right now. And the best thing to do was just to go sit in this one spot at my local bar and watch whatever the hell they threw on that night and just like, I don't know, escape. So yeah, that, that setting is actually really fun for me and watching something with closed caption on uh and, and then you've got like uh uh some train song playing in the background in the bar <laughs> like <laughs> that's my favorite thing is just like how it mixes together so yeah no i'm i'm you're talking to, to a, a an avid fan of bar watching there's something really yeah the the weird almost solemn but still convivial vibe of watching like a movie that but like especially a horror movie that people have seen before where it's almost like uh like watching like the stations of the cross or like a passion play or something. Everybody knows the steps and we're all just sort of acknowledging the steps as they happen. <laughs> like, oh, totally. oh, yeah, th- this is coming up. Hans Gruber, he's going to walk on the glass soon. Like stuff like that happening. And I also love watching movies without audio because you pay attention to edits in a different way. And something that I do while I'm editing with my, my editor, Sarah Beth Shapiro is that will often turn off the audio and watch a scene and just see how it feels not not because sometimes your brain can trick you about edits and make you think that something isn't working with audio kind of messed up or or like temp or whatever it is. So it's also a fun thing to watch other people's movies, especially the greats, and see how they edited something without being kind of, I don't know, uh, flavored by the the audio or the music that's also coming along with it. So it's a fun ex- exercise as well. I really like that. Is there is there an example of a movie you come back to that was really instructive for you as an audio-free edit? Man, that's a good question. I want I want to say that I haven't really done that in the past two movies, but with Faults, my first feature, I was definitely looking uh looking more at other movies as like inspiration and how they would do this or that. And I want to say that I probably watched I might have watched either Punch Drunk Love or um, Hard Eight or maybe both with audio off, like completely all the way through. And, That's awesome. 
I don't know why I feel that way, but I know that at least one of them, something like that happened. And I think it was while I was shot listing. I want to say it was hard eight then. I maybe I was shot listing for a weekend, one one weekend between like a one week one and week two and watched hard eight with audio off, like just muted. And uh, yeah, completely forgot about that. That's awesome. Yeah, Steph and I actually, she had never seen Punch Drunk Love, and that might be my favorite movie. And I think there is something really magical about the rhythm of that movie, and I imagine that a lot of that translates even if you've got it on mute. And it's one of my favorites, if not my favorite movie, too. And I think the great thing about that film is how uh, auditory it is, like everything about that movie. So when you don't have that as a thing to fall back on, does the movie still work? And it does. Like, that's that's a really cool thing. So, yeah, if you haven't ever, even just watching a, your favorite scene from your favorite movie, if you've never just muted it, I strongly suggest trying it. It's a very interesting uh, exercise. That's that's great. And I think this is really instructive for the way we think about this podcast and what makes a good bar movie as we move forward. So Exactly. Ernest Scared I, Stupid being the the prime example. Yeah, we can we can bring it back to Ernest, but I think Ernest is great. He's, you know, in some ways, I think Ernest's unabashed earnestness is something aspirational for a sad man sitting alone at the bar. I think I think Ernest is not capable of sadness and is very confident in who he is, and I think that's really nice. Yeah, I mean, are, do we get into spoilers with this? We're assuming people have watched scared stupid right or i think we're assuming either they've watched it or they don't care about spoilers or they don't care about Ernest scared stupid i'm a person who listens to a movie podcast without having seen the movie because i'm not bound by linear narrative does that make sense i have a a sitcom rerun mind yeah so it just i'm used to things coming out of sequence to me so I want to make a podcast that's for the rerun heads like yeah. myself. <laughs> you exist You exist in the fourth dimension of viewers. I'm not bound by time, <laughs> per se. <laughs> um, well, yeah, no, what I was going to say was uh, you, you mentioned him being like never really gets sad or like brought down. The real moment is when he loses his dog. And, mm-hmm. and in watching the movie again, there was this earnestness about Ernest, like you said, that reminded me in a weird way, like maybe it was an initial inspiration somewhere in my subconscious for Casey Davies and the art of self-defense and his relationship with his dog and, and what <laughs> happens when you think your your dog is no longer there. And and I guess in, in Ernest's case, he's able to kind of bring him back, but he, he continues to fight on in honor of the dog. And I don't know, there's just something wonderful about that. And I hadn't really thought about that connection and it's definitely not like inspired by, but it has to be somewhere in my subconscious because that was something that I watched quite a few times as a as a kid. Well, you've heard you've heard some of Riley's influences. You know he's a Yorgos head, but now you know <laughs> that Ernest heavily informed <laughs> his 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 critically acclaimed works. Um, so I, I actually I love. I, I love the way we're talking about Ernest and Rimshot. Let's let's maybe bring it back, give people a little foundational context, and then we can really dig into this movie. So Ernest Scared Stupid came out in 1991. It was directed by John Cherry, who before he was a filmmaker was actually an ad <laughs> executive. Um, but he, he was a frequent collaborator with Jim Varney and directed a bunch of these Ernest movies. Uh, This movie came out in 1991. Jim Varney actually tragically died uh, in 2000, which is really terrible. Because when you watch this movie, he's a a young guy. He's an incredible physical actor, but he did not work 
uh, too long after this. Um, it, it, the thing with this movie, I think your mileage will vary wildly based entirely on whether or not you like Ernest, but I find that I do. I think Jim yeah. Barney is really funny. Mm. Bethy, you hadn't seen this before. What was what was this like for you? Yeah, I had not encountered Ernest as a child. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Private school, maybe. <laughs> Just kept Ernest away from me somehow. So I my first Ernest experience was watching Ernest Goes to Splash Mountain last year because podcast the ride talked about it (laughs) and i found it on youtube and so this was my second earnest outing uh and i liked it so much i don't understand how like even people who disliked like the earnest commercials i don't you couldn't get upset about earnest uh for a whole movie he varies the tone so much that it's not gonna it doesn't grate on your nerves you'd think it would but it super doesn't (laughs) I I agree, and I think that maybe, especially since this podcast is new, people coming into this episode might think that Ernest Scared Stupid is an ironic pick, or that no. they're going to <clears throat> laugh and make fun of it. But I think even, Bethy, you're new to it, but you, you enjoyed it, I think, in the same way that we do. So, so yeah, we're, we're here to reclaim <laughs> Ernest Scared <laughs> Stupid. Um, the consensus at the time of the release was pretty scathing. Um, I, I, I noted a blurb that I think reflects some of the larger sentiments from a lot of the reviews, but uh, Steve Davis of the Austin Chronicle said, quote, Although the scares in this movie are minimal, Ernest Scared Stupid nonetheless offers the frightening prospect of yet another installment of the Big E misguided antics, end quote. Um, which right. sucks. Right. Shut up, Steve. <laughs> also, it's a fucking kids movie too. It's it's a kids movie. Yeah, I I actually it's it's crazy to read some of the criticism with regards to it being a kids movie because uh, um, uh, wait, where is this? While you're looking for it, I'll just say that I think a lot of reviews for Ernest have sort of the the energy of a kid who's just just old enough to no longer give a shit about Barney. Right. You know, it's like, I'm a big kid, so this shit sucks. I'm like, <laughs> all right, settle down. And it's a period that only lasts a few years. It's where you're, like, embarrassed of being a child, but you're not yet self-aware of the fact that that self-seriousness is not that cool. Um, yeah, you're you're no longer a kid, but you also are enough of a kid to not be scared of dying and thus wishing you were still a kid. Yeah, all of these critics There's are 11, like little, is what we're saying. Yeah. Um, I I found the review. It's uh, Rita Kempley from the Washington Post wrote, quote, Trantor is a hairy, Trantor is the troll. Uh, She said, quote, Trantor is a hairy, warty, snotty-nosed little monster who is scary only if you are still too short to see over the coffee table, end quote. What, what's, what's also, that's incredible because I was I want to guess that I was maybe eight to ten somewhere in that range when I first saw this movie. Yeah. It fucked me up. Like me I was so scared from it. And so yeah, like I think that that's exactly like if it was any scarier, parents wouldn't have let their kids watch it. It would have like I don't know. It would have backfired in so many ways. So like an adult saying, "Huh, I could tell it was it was a costume." <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, it's a fucking movie. Yeah, it that the movie scared the shit out of me. My my history with Ernest scared stupid is my grandpa had a furniture store before he died and when I was a kid 
and I would visit my grandpa. I would spend some time there because obviously he would work during the days. And in the back room, there was a small TV with a VCR, and one of three tapes was Ernest Scared Stupid. So I watched it a ton. And even in broad daylight in my grandpa's furniture store, the trolls scared the shit they out of me. They are so man. scary. They're I really had it, fucked up. I had a similar experience. So I was in in Illinois, where my dad's side of the family lives, and there for the summer. And I was over at my cousin Ben or cousins Ben and Jenny's house, and they rented Ernest Scared Stupid. And we, I had seen an Ernest movie before or two, so I knew Ernest, but I didn't know it was going to be as scary as it was. Uh, watched it at night terrified to go to the restroom by myself all of that <laughs> like embarrassed because you're with your cousins and they're older and cooler and then the next day i went for a bike ride with my cousin and his dad and i got like halfway through the ride and decided i wanted to finish like go home and they were going to go another route and but they they were like you know how to get back right and i was like yeah totally and i get lost in the woods on a bike and am so scared of the troll <laughs> that I, I mean, I was in a panic and I finally found the exit that I was looking for. And it was probably like 10 minutes of being lost. But in that moment, I was so convinced I was going to be turned into a wooden block of character, like version of myself. Uh, that movie legitimately terrified me, but I think that's why I loved it. It's why I love The Labyrinth. That's why I love uh, Dark Crystal, things like that, where it didn't treat kids like you had to hold their hand. Like, let them be scared a little bit. It's okay. That's yeah. an incredible story. <laughs> I remember it vividly, vividly. Speaking as a, as a 29-year-old seeing this movie for the first time, I was upset by the trolls. They are too wet. <laughs> uh, I don't like it. Did you? I also noticed for the first time that he has four nostrils. They are body horror. Yeah, he has four nostrils. So he has two noses, and it makes his nose kind of look like titties. And <laughs> I was upset by his nose titties. And then later his ears grow penises. They grow like these little prehensile ear penises when he becomes like a super troll. And so it's like a really really upsetting character design all around like hats off uh i found out that the 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 people who created the, the troll puppets and the prosthesis were the chiodo brothers who did killer clowns from outer space and it's, the critters movies that's so good oh, right. of course. That, i mean the critters i didn't even think about the critters totally one, but that was a piece. another one that screwed me up as a kid and i didn't even see the movie i only saw like trailer and the back of the vhs box so like yeah and the critters have a similar to the trolls. They're like um, weirdly cute, also weirdly indestructible, except for they're like one thing that can kill them. It's that same sort of like, yeah, these are weird looking and upsetting. Like these are weird looking and like funny, but they're still going to like murder you. Like the fact that they're absurd should make them less scary, but it actually just makes it worse because you can't even take your own death seriously. Yeah. I mean, there's a moment in the movie where a troll is getting ready to decapitate a parent, like has an axe ready to decapitate somebody. Like they're not just like turning you into blocks of wood and being like mischievous. They're they're murderers. That mm -hmm. that stuff's really awesome. And I think there's <laughs> so much to chew on with this movie and so much to talk about that it is it is a, a cult item at, at the very least. I think it's a really fun movie, but it didn't do well when it came out. Uh, Cherry and Varney had a deal with Touchstone, um, so they had theatrical distribution for all of these films, but Ernest Scared Stupid tanked so hard, 
um, it grossed $14 million at the box office that they lost their deal. And all releases after this one were released straight to video with independent financing, wow. which I think is really interesting because Ernest Scared Stupid, I don't know. I, I just think it's a, a misunderstood movie. It's not shot poorly either. There's moments it where looks pretty good. it's like super overexposed in moments and there's like some pretty... Uh, harsh lighting and, and and some weird choices, but they did a pretty great job for what I'm imagining was a pretty hectic schedule. Um, and you're working with children and animals and these weird uh, Ruth Goldberg style devices that he makes. And that treehouse is actually really cool. And I remember as a kid loving that so much too. Yeah, I love the treehouse. Maybe see, we're so excited to talk details. Maybe I'll Sorry, just give yeah. people a quick <laughs> plot flyover and then we can fucking dig in to Ernest Scared Stupid. Um, <laughs> so to give context to any listener who may not have seen the film, and, and I will admit that my goal for anyone who has not seen Ernest Scared Stupid and is listening to this podcast is that you will watch it, that our enthusiasm will be infectious, and that you will hopefully have the experience that we have watching this movie, which is that, sure, it's goofy, it's for children, but it's 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 special, and obviously no one's making movies like this now. So, um Basically, Ernest Scared Stupid tells the story of uh, Briarville, Missouri in the 1990s. And 100 years earlier, a troll called Trantor, who is terrorizing the town, turning children into blocks of wood, is uh, basically banished by Phineas Worrell, the great-grandfather of Ernest P. Worrell. Um, and when this... Is, is it great-grandfather? Am I wrong, Bethy? No, you could be. I think you're right. I was just really confused as to the timeline, whether it was 100 years ago, 200 years ago, because because there's been like four generations of the Worrell family in between this time. And yet Eartha Kitt yeah. is still alive. They didn't do a good job at that. But I think that maybe they're hinting that she is older than she looks because of some sort of magic yeah. or whatever. Yeah, she's got witch, witch old times good for her. <laughs> Keeping it tight because she's a witch. So either the timeline is fucky or I'm fucking it up. But one of Ernest's ancestors banishes this troll and the troll vows uh, with a curse that he places upon Ernest's ancestor that he will return roughly 100 years later when one of this man's very stupid descendants summons him. And so that's what happens. Ernest P. Worrell is a garbage man who is friends with a bunch of children <laughs> in the town of Briarville. He helps them with all of their problems, is not great at doing his own job. Ernest unwittingly unleashes this troll who begins turning local children to blocks of wood. And he teams up with Eartha Kitt and the remaining non-wooden children to basically banish these trolls is that did, did i do a good job is yeah that that's bad? great okay. yeah totally. yeah that's exactly what happens oh and he has a lovely dog named rimshot rimshot rules <laughs> so i i love this movie but i had not seen an Ernest movie before this and so there are a few sort of fast facts about Ernest that i got watching this movie one Ernest is a botswana history buff two Ernest is an incredible inventor Three, Ernest is a purveyor of the astrological arts. Four, True. he has a deep knowledge of international foods. And five, mm -hmm. he is a love guru. I'll, I would agree. I think I felt represented by Ernest more than I thought I would as somebody <laughs> who is book smart and streets dumb. Like, I can read. I can read real good. But... uh. 
there are times where there's just complete cognitive breaks between like what a human being would do and what Bethy does or what Ernest does. <laughs> so I was really identifying with Ernest being like, I'm friends with children and I can't do my own job, but I know so much about Botswana. And can I bring that to the table? Is that something you want? And the town says, no, thank you. It is such a strange <laughs> characterization that Ernest is cast as this dumbass who can't do anything right, who also knows a lot and is really resourceful. Uh, Riley, do you, do, you have, do you have thoughts on Ernest's uneven characterization? He's like a cartoon character, uh, like a, a live action cartoon character. And I, that's what I love about him. And yeah, like you said, he is incredibly intelligent in so many ways. And his inventions are super ingenious, even though they don't ever work right. Uh, <laughs> but then when he builds this treehouse, all of the things in the treehouse that he and the kids build work perfectly. He's able to make, I mean, I don't get a pizza launcher. And <laughs> no. in, what, in what world that would actually be a viable weapon? But it works to the T. It's exactly what they advertise. Um, there's the scene when he's in his, uh, like, like using, what is he doing with his garbage truck? He's like got the cleaning device thing happening. And then he gets stuck in the garbage ca- uh, truck back bed. And then yeah. Rimshot saves him where he gets like, it's crushed. compacting. Yeah. The trash is going to compact. Yeah. Ernest. So he's, he, but he gets compacted and his face is sticking out of it, and then it falls out like a cartoon character. And <laughs> I think that that gives you everything you need to know about the tone of the movie pretty early on, that fantastical things can happen, again, not unlike The Art of Self-Defense, where something starts a certain way, and then as it goes along, you realize that the world allows for things that you didn't really totally know in the beginning. Ernest just throws it out there very early on and says, this isn't the real world, and I kind of appreciate the movie for that fact. Um Yeah, the adults really don't like him, but I think that that's why a lot of kids' movies work. It's because as a kid, you want to watch a movie where there's a character that isn't understood. It's like basically a cipher for you, and you like the adults don't get it, and the adults don't see that the monster is real, and the kids are the ones that are fighting it and 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 like actually uh, saving the day. And not unlike an Are You Afraid of the Dark or. uh, Goosebumps episode. This one has all of those sort of tropes, but it's just got more slapstick comedy in there, and then a really, really talented actor in in Varney. So, like, yeah, I, I I don't understand in the context of that world why the adults don't like him. I feel like they I would want to be his best friend, but uh, <laughs> I mean, when when things go wrong with him, though, it's almost always like life threatening danger caused by his inventions so i guess i could see it being a liability being around him if anything it really speaks to the fact that there are multiple types of intelligence and the idea that people are either smart or dumb is like a specious argument there's like everybody has things that they are intelligent at whether it's like physical movement or botswana facts (laughs) or uh (laughs) dog training or or, i don't know inventions and dog training and then yeah because he can teach a dog it's possible the dog taught himself to drive we're not clear on that yeah but uh he has certain skills it's just whether or not they're applicable in his day-to-day life that's the question (laughs) exactly yeah the uh the the driving scene i like to think that rimshot knows how to drive but Ernest giving him the instructions like the, it's like a teamwork effort. Like the, what you can have one without mm. the other. 
Rimshot's a great driver, but in the moment <laughs> he didn't know to throw it in reverse. Like he he had to be told by Ernest to do it. So <laughs> I I love I love the relationship between Ernest and Rimshot. And if we're not moving through this in a linear way, we can kind of talk about these different moments. But like there's this great beat uh in the back half of the movie where Ernest is setting up a giant trap for one of the trolls. And he calls Rimshot an ugly little boy because Rimshot's wearing a little Halloween costume. And Rimshot gets offended. Yeah. And Rimshot is not an animated dog. This is a real dog acting. It's but, so good. But but Rimshot looks pissed off. And so Ernest is is setting up this trap. He fucks it up so that his entire body is extended trying to hold this trap open. And he's shouting at Rimshot to help him. And Rimshot is annoyed at being called an ugly little boy. So he just lets Ernest get snapped by this giant bear trap. And it's like a really gruesome moment that happens off camera. I don't know. I like, I like their vibe. I like that Rimshot's got a little bit of attitude. Like, even though the movie is obviously a comedy, it has a sense of humor about itself, too, and a deeper sense of comedy that I think is why it works for adults, even though it was never intended for adults. Like, it's definitely a kid's movie, but I think my dad probably watched this with me, and I'm actually curious now to talk to him be like, what did you think of Ernest Scared Stupid when we watched it? I'm sure he would say, oh, I really enjoyed it. It was funny. I think my I think my parents would, too. I think, it, I think it's funny. I think Ernest is... is amusing to anyone i'm I'm shocked that the contemporaneous consensus for this movie was so poor he's just such a great actor too and i, I, think, I was, think oh sorry um he yeah. his whole training his his shakespeare theatrical training that he did like really comes into play at moments and that's what he gets to do these weird little moments where he he, he is talking about the Ottomans and he dresses up as the old lady and then he's the Australian outback guy. And he gets to like, I'm, I feel like he wanted those in the script for himself, but they add this like deranged, amazing quality to the movie too, <laughs> that I, I think it would suffer without having. So yeah, it's just a very watchable character, but he also makes it that way. I would watch an entire movie of the the sort of like RAF flyer that he does at one point where he's, he's talking about having to get every last man jack of you. And I completely flip my lid at every man Jack because it's just a phrase that you only hear in like between the wars, uh, British like mysteries <laughs> and which is my favorite genre. So I'd like to watch that guy do a Poirot or something. <laughs> I, I, I miss Jim Varney. It would be very interesting to see what a late career Jim Varney would do. What, what sort of interesting filmmakers would use him in strange ways. Um, it's, it, it, it really is a loss. It actually is interesting that you say that, because I don't think he really did much outside of the Ernest world, did he? Not, not so much. Just Toy Story. Right. Toy Story of course, is the other Toy Story. He's, he's and known he's for. so great in that, too. But, right. Um, no, I would, I would have loved to work with somebody like him. And I, uh, I, I think that, one thing that maybe happened was the whole we and we talked about this briefly via text, Thomas. But the Ernest goes to Africa was pretty weird choice for him, and I uh, that. everyone everyone involved. I watched the trailer for that one, having not seen it, and uh, definitely problematic in so many ways. But 
if that movie aside, I wonder what other, like you said, what filmmakers would do, if he would even be interested in playing characters other than that. Because I don't know, maybe he was fine doing that and he had a quiet life somewhere else. I, I don't know really his whole personal story beyond the, the movies themselves. I even think of, I, I know we were talking about it earlier, but something like Punch Drunk Love, though, in the way that PTA uses Adam Sandler, in the way that there are very slight Sandlerisms in that movie, but how it's all kind of, just through an entirely different filmmaking prism, I wonder what Jim Varney doing his big characters, but subdued through a director like that. I just, I can only imagine what that might look like. Yeah. I could definitely see Jim Varney doing doing one of those pivots to drama, like how uh, like Emma Thompson and Eric Bana were both sketch comedians in their home countries, and they come here and they're like big drama guys. Right. So Jim Varney could move to like England and like really like clean up on ITV or something, or like work with Armando Yanucci. You know, I imagine him yeah. doing something like that. But this is all obviously. Something that sadly won't happen, but I think this movie has a lot of style. Sorry, that's that's a, that's a bit of a pivot, but that the opening sequence with the theme music and the weird like lighting and gels and cutting to footage of old black and white horror—it's pretty great. Pretty great and pretty comedic. It gives you a good sense of who yeah. he is right away as a character, as an actor, um, and then. Similarly with the cinematography, some of the camera moves in this movie, weird angles, but nothing ever felt like it was done a certain way just because they said, ah, fuck it, we'll put the camera here. It definitely felt directed in a way that a lot of movies of this style probably either aren't or um, aren't given the opportunity to because of budget or time constraints or something. Yeah, nearly every review when this movie came out talked about how Cherry is a hack and a bad director and all of these things. And I don't That's agree insane. with that yeah. at all. I mean, I'm sure he made worse movies as his career went on, like seeing the trailer for Ernest Goes to Africa, for example. <laughs> but the I, even just watching the trailer again before this for Ernest Saves Christmas, there's some stuff in that movie that's really good. And so I, yeah, I, I, I don't think that you can make a movie with this many choices and be a bad director. I think that people just didn't get what he was doing. And he was like, really, he was ahead of his time as far as directors who came out of commercials. Mm -hmm. That feels like a much more like 90s, early That's a great point. phenomenon of the people who like did car commercials and are now like, or like music videos and then became the most respected directors that we have that. Spark giant uh, Twitter troll movements and stuff. <laughs> Bethy, what a... I I'm so glad that you enjoyed this movie. I didn't know how it would play for someone uninitiated, although I had a feeling you'd like it. What What were some things that jumped out at you? I'm curious. I mean, Eartha Kitt jumped out at me, slapped me in the face, and then delivered her lines with perfect clarity. She's incredible She was this. having a goddamn ball. <laughs> I love... And it's, it's another thing. Her and... Um, her and Varney were both, like, classically trained actors who were hugely disrespected in their times for very different reasons. One of them for doing commercials, the other one for criticizing Vietnam. But, like, they didn't get their propers until much, much later. And it was interesting to see her slot in and they know exactly where to play it. 
whether it's like because she has the Batman experience or what, but she's like, I know what movie I'm in. <laughs> and it was really a delight to watch. She's so good. Uh, Eartha Kitt had a few roles that for me as a kid were like extremely memorable, which is like this, of course. She has a really great bit part in the Harriet the Spy movie. Do you remember? It's been so long since I've seen that one. I remember that movie, but who is she? Harriet's like patrolling an apartment and Eartha Kitt is wearing like a vibrating belt when... And, and, and she screams the word Dunwaiter, and you can imagine how that sounds in an Eartha Kit voice. Uh, anyway, I thought you'd know what I was talking about. I, I fucked <laughs> this up. Um, she's also great, obviously, in The Emperor's New Groove. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Eartha Kit I also, legend. I got, I got the vibe, too, that she and Jim Varney got along very well. Like, even if that's not the case, their chemistry was really, really great. And I felt like they cared about each other as characters, which totally again, it's a fucking kids movie that that doesn't have to be there for a kid to watch it and enjoy it. But it's there. There's no incentive for them as Mm -hmm. actors to fake that if they didn't like each other. Yeah. And I feel like if I was at a bar right now watching the movie, I would talk about that with the the neighbor next to me. Be like, I think they liked each other. Absolutely. I I, I look forward to talking about this movie at a bar. Um, It's coming. It's coming soon. Very soon. <laughs> this movie Once has, it drops on Netflix too. Yeah. This movie has incredible mythology. I don't know what sort of background you get for Ernest in the other movies, but just finding about Phineas Worrell and and the idea that his family is cursed um, with each generation, they'll get dumber and dumber. I, I, I that makes perfect sense, and I can't imagine that factors into the other Ernest movies. Well, it's funny, too, because watching it, I I obviously had seen it before, and I knew that that was what it was, that you get dumber and dumber. But I remembered it being a curse that the the troll actually says something like that. And then when it didn't happen, it was this weird thing of like, no, no, that's definitely the case. Why didn't they say that? And then when the little girl is giving the speech about it, and she's the one who says dumber and dumber and dumber, it's just funny how your brain can remember so much about something, and then details start to get hazy. And that was an instance where I was sure that that was a part of the curse, but was surprised that it didn't come at the moment that I thought it was going to come. Okay, speaking of things that we were sure were true, but then found out that perhaps we're living in a different dimension. (laughs) I could have sworn that late in life Jim Varney came out, but apparently that never happened. I also also had it in in (laughs) the back of my mind that Jim Varney was a gay man. Um, and Bethy was Googling it uh, and, and found a good, a good post. It was in the r slash Mandela effect. <laughs> Man- yeah, Mandela effect subreddit. <laughs> and it was like, I could have sworn Jim Varney was gay, but maybe I slipped into a different dimension. And like half of the responses was, you're thinking of Jim neighbors. You're stupid. <laughs> yeah, I had never heard that. So that was that was a new one for me. And it would explain the vibe between him and Eartha Kitt, too. Just saying. <laughs> Jim, Jim Varney gay? Sound off in the comments. There's a, there's a, there's a line yeah. in this movie that kills me. There, there's a lot of stuff in this movie that's really funny. But when Ernest is in the woods with the kids and they're starting to get lost, he delivers this line that's so great. He says, there's an old pioneer trick to find north. The bark always grows 
on the outside, outside of the of tree, the tree. <laughs> <laughs> and all the kids look at each other like he's the dumbest person in the world but like clearly Ernest knows things so like where where are the dividing lines where is he a smart guy where is he a dumb guy it's never entirely clear to me and they're the ones hanging out with him right it's like their their choice they've made that choice yeah, to hang out with the garbage man of the town i am can yeah i do want to go back more into Ernest's backstory because he's he is uh, the progressively dumber offspring of Finne- Reverend Phineas Worrell. He's the seventh son of a seventh son, which is usually how you get a wizard in like traditional like <laughs> British witchcraft tradition. <laughs> he is the local garbage man, but he won't shut up about recycling. Like every time he has like a little patter moment with his garbage truck, he's talking about how recycling is the future. So he's like, he's an environmentalist. Un- unheard in his time, much like Al Gore. A- and he's friends with all these children for reasons unclear. But what's... How did he... How did they meet the children? <laughs> it's funny to me how I never once feel weird about him with the kids, though. Like, in any other movie that that happens, you're going to be like, oh, that's weird, or like, you're what's going on there? And you never feel that way with Ernest because he feels like a kid himself. Totally. You get the sense that the kids think they're taking care of Ernest, like he's their pet in the same way that Rimshot is his pet. <laughs> right, but they also understand the ways that they need to take care of Ernest, but also the ways in which Ernest can be very helpful to them. It's a it's a good... It's a rich tapestry, for sure. <laughs> Ernest Scared Stupid is a rich tapestry. Should we take a quick break to run to the restroom and, and maybe grab a drink? Something that I miss about bars is it's the last place as an adult that you can have teacher likes me energy. Oh, interesting. <laughs> if you like win bar staff, it's like the last place that you can get the I'm the one that teacher likes feeling of like I'm the good one or here. Or when they when I'm they nice, wink at you I'm like they're they're here. like they've got a problem customer next to you and you have that mm-hmm. like moment where you're like, Oh, I'm th- I'm there with you. Fuck, you've got it hard right now. Yeah, or if you're like, if yeah, they leave that the awful customer leaves, and you're like, what yeah. the fuck oh, yeah. was that? And they were like, I know. It's Man, so I've, good. I've seen some crazy. Like when you spend almost every night, at least like an hour and a half, two hours in a bar, you get to see some things. And I was always like the happy hour leave by seven o'clock guy, or not always, but most of the time. But yeah, you uh, you definitely see the regulars that you go, okay, I don't want to become that type of regular. But then you also see the randoms who come in and the crazy energies and like the, I don't know, I've seen people like try to pour wine into a thermos and walk out with it. Oh, no. Like, and then there's the UC, like, so my bar was Franklin and Company. So it's right next to UCB and you see the people who are trying to sneak drinks out of there and go back to UCB. And so you could see the bartenders deal with all that madness. Yeah, I imagine that happened a lot at Franklin and Company. More uh, so with birds, I would imagine, next door to Franklin and Company yeah. because it's cheaper. But Franklin and Company got it too, for sure. I miss my local. I miss <laughs> being at a bar on a Sunday afternoon. I would go to Hyperion Public at like four o'clock on a Sunday and get like a happy hour burger and mm-hmm. a margarita. The dream. I got to get back there. We're going to be back. Yeah, I 
I miss writing in bars more than I miss even watching TV in bars. That's where I got the majority of my You wrote like your entire book in bars, right? Yeah, I did. I dedicated my book to the bars that I wrote. I wrote about five pages of Duel at my bar. The best five pages. There you go. I have a photo of me because I've been writing an intelligentsia that day, which I'd never done on my other scripts. I never wrote anywhere other than my living room. But on Duel, I decided to get out and write in, in a different place. And um, I left Intelligentsia and I was like, I'm not ready to go home yet because I feel like I still have some writing in me. And so I went to Franklin and Company and asked if I could just sit at a table and drink a Diet Coke. And they were like, yeah, fuck yeah, right? I'm like, Riley, you can do whatever you want. So wrote some Duel there. I took the Jeopardy entrance exam at HMS Bounty. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, Because it was, I would stop there often on the way back from working on Ada Bruins Everything. That's where I would get dinner. It was like halfway between my metro stops, essentially. So I would go there and have dinner. And so I would often be there during Jeopardy. So when they were like, come on, come all, we're doing the quiz. I took it there because I had my work computer with me. And they gave me the Wi-Fi password. <laughs> Can I ask? Yeah. So what? I Franklin and Company actually has a pretty decent setup for when you're watching a movie at their bar. Um, mm-hmm. They've got a pretty big screen. They can plug in the speakers, but they tend to just play music, but they'll throw on closed captions for you. But it's easy if you're at the bar to watch a movie. Are there other bars that you think of in L.A. that are conducive to watching at? Or are they mostly like the weird thing where it's a small TV in a corner that's kind of hard to see or they don't throw closed captioning on you for you because it's not really for you. It's just for them to have something on in the background. Like what places come to mind for you? Is Jay's bar closed too? Jay's bar is closed. Was... And that's, that was one that's of a my good one. favorites yeah. to watch movies. They would always have like the TCM rotation on. Yeah. Um, Bounty, they gave me the remote. That's so cool. So I was, I was the captain now. <laughs> um, Edendale projects stuff, but it's on a loop. I haven't put in the like work yet to become friends with them, but they have they they do projector screens like in front mm-hmm. and in back. So I feel like it could be choice once you were like in with them. Once teacher liked you, it could be like a really. I should good look setup. into that because that's so close to to our place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess Riley to answer your question for me, I can't think of a lot of places that are really conducive to watching movies but for me the act of watching a movie at a bar is there is a novelty to the strange parameters by by which you're bound to watch on a weirdly small tv that is poorly located like jay's was one of my favorite places to watch movies and it was just two tvs on either side in the corner and not particularly large um and so you're just catching a bit of like nosferatu you know um, when you fall out of yeah. whatever whatever the table conversation is. Good call. Yeah. Um, was making sure that I just hadn't missed any other really good ones for that kind of thing. And I'm sure that there are other things out there. But uh, I guess we st- tend to stick to our neighborhoods when we're watching something. If you're going to a bar that's not in your neighborhood, it's probably because you're meeting somebody and you're going to have a conversation. But right. when you're in your neighborhood, you're... You're not necessarily talking to somebody. You've had a hard day. You've had a long day, whatever it is, and you just want to relax and watch something and eat that burger at happy hour. <laughs> like I know you're talking about, like that exact same feeling of just having a place that you don't have to think about. You know what it is, and you know that it's comfortable. Right. I like that feeling. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I think of I think of the bars that are good for watching movies as the bars where 
they one want to put on a movie rather than sports and two will give me the remote, <laughs> like places that I get the ox essentially. So that's in LA. That's just bounty Prince and mermaid are the places where I've become chummy enough for remote the places where they prioritize something like a movie over sports. I understand why you put on sports at a bar that, that generates a lot of revenue, but there is a peculiar texture and atmosphere to having a movie on at the bar rather than just the wide ESPN shots of a, whatever the fucking field or court is. Uh, I love it. It, it. It's just a different kind of atmosphere. I want to shout out, we've been shouting out bars that we miss while we're still in, in core times, Riley. Um, tonight, I want to shout out the Trestle Inn in Philadelphia because they had, they didn't have wallpaper. They had almost like projection mapping of like so many projection screens of like different movies going, like different specifically like burlesque movies, like blue movies going. So there would be like loops of like the girl in gold boots or like uh, not I am curious yellow, but like like schoolgirl report, like soft cores just sort of playing on the walls at all. That times sounds great. There. And it was a very nice. It was so nice. And they had uh, good popcorn. So <laughs> we love it. We Wonderful. love it there. Shout out. What about you, Riley? What's a, what's a bar you miss? I know you're a real <laughs> healthy guy. You're you're tucking and rolling and, and, and lifting but <laughs> uh man that's a hard one i i think any bar you're at with friends is a good bar but i miss like some of the weirdo bars over on los Feliz boulevard um like the roost like so good like that kind of thing God. i miss so much just the weirdos that go there and um <laughs> and then i also really like one of my local bars for like when you're out really late uh, and you want a different scene is Frolic Room uh, next to Pantages, yes. this tiny little bar. You always feel like you're a moment away from getting stabbed. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty awesome. Uh, and I'll almost always hit that. If I'm coming back from Draft House, LA, like downtown, I take the metro down there to get there, the subway. It's the only subway line I use in LA because it actually works for me. And then when I'm coming back, it's usually pretty late. And if I want like one more drink, I'll stop there at the Frolic Room, grab a whiskey and Coke and talk to the weirdo like bartenders who have been there forever and have seen every single thing. And um, you're, yeah, that, that's the bar that I miss. We already, I think in the teaser episode, we shouted out Joel, the bartender. Yeah, yeah. Room. I mean, like I forgot I also got remote but... privileges there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. King shit. I love him. I hate the one in the vest. <laughs> There's a guy in a vest with a rosary tattoo who works day shift at Frolic Room and uh him I'm him I'm not sold on. He could win me, but at the moment it's All right, not. vest man, I got to tell you, I don't know you, but I uh I remain impartial. Uh <laughs> if if you're if you're a fan of this podcast, I I would like to shout out the the famous East Side one-two punch of Red Lion and Cha Cha Lounge. Um, those were the last bars I went to in LA days before lockdown. I did trivia with a couple friends at Red Lion. We won, and we took tequila shots at Cha Cha, not knowing the world was about to shut down completely. Um, so I missed that desperately, and I hope to bookend this really bizarre experience with red lion and cha-cha 
You went the opposite route that I usually do with, with Redline and Cha-Cha. I feel like I always wind up being, like, going to Cha-Cha for, like, somebody's birthday or for some sort of drink situation or, like, they want to go dance. And then I just slowly start, like, a whispers and rumors campaign that someone wants to get pretzels. <laughs> Maybe pretzels could happen. You know, everyone, everyone is saying more and more that we should go get a pretzel, a soft pretzel at Red Lion. So I, like, slowly bring the crew over to the boring old man bar. That's to get the pretzels. wisdom that comes with age. It's 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 reversing that that evening. I, I think with time, I'll do cha cha first. I'll get exhausted, and then I'll go to Red Lion. Um, but you know who's not a cha cha or Red Lion? Children, namely the children who star in Ernest Scared Stupid. And and Beautiful I'd love sake. I'd love to talk about well my favorite child in Ernest Scared Stupid, which is a controversial pick, but. Uh, my favorite kid is Murdoch. Which one is Murdoch? Murdoch is the bully who looks like Randy Quaid's kid in Christmas Vacation who has the lip fungus. He has like <laughs> big husky jeans and his hair is slicked back. Yeah. And he is says, that the mayor's son? Yeah, yeah. He says okay. stuff like, wrecking, this place is going to be fun, big time. Um. <laughs> And I looked him up, and his what? name is Richard Wolf, and he was never in another movie. And so there is this mystique to Richard Wolf and his Murdoch performance. And I urge you, if you're watching Ernest Scared Stupid for the first time, for the fiftieth time, tap into that Murdoch shit. If there's if there's one character you're really paying attention to, every Murdoch line reading is. I won't say wrong because he's a kid in a kid's movie, but, like, they're incredible. He really understands the assignment of being the movie bully. You know, like uh, Ice and the other one in uh, Hocus Pocus. Or just, you know, like those bullies in, like, 80s and 90s movies that were, like, borderline homicidal. Like the, the one in Karate Kid that, like, tries to do murder to the Karate Kid. Like pushes him down a ravine. <laughs> yeah. For for doing a smooch. No, those kids those kids are violent and I think gave the people watching the movies unrealistic expectations for what they could get away with before they would end up in juvenile hall. Well, when you're the mayor's son. That's true. Who who Ernest unwittingly traps in a dumpster, <laughs> further complicating his situation. <laughs> <laughs> How great is the how great is the treehouse siege when Murdoch and his dork friend show up and they get pelted with dog food cans? The dog food launcher and the egg launcher, those types of things made a lot of sense to me. It does. Going make back to sense. the pizza launcher, I still I mean, are they piping pizzas out of an oven behind the scenes? Like where where are they stocking up on these pizzas that are just ready to like splatter all over somebody? Also Maybe it would have made more sense like a pie launcher or like a cake launcher if we're if we're going that route. Pizza does I don't I don't know that that makes makes sense even in the context of If you're of fortunate enough to have those pizzas, hold on to them. <laughs> Eat them. There's this line that Kenny says after uh, Murdoch and his buddy get splattered with pizzas where he goes, "Ew, pizza mess." Kids don't <laughs> Kids don't say that. Also, that was that was the like funniest that that was oh, definitely yeah, yeah. ADR yeah, for sure. that moment 
and it's Ew. so poorly done. Like his Pizza wits are mess. on screen, and he's saying all. <laughs> um, I I filled in my head canon was that the pizzas were coming from the garbage that like all of the stuff that was being all the food waste that was being (laughs) flung at these bullies came from the dumpsters because Ernest is a recycler it's part of his recycling program yeah Yeah, fully cooked pizzas without any slices taken out of them that were just like sitting there going to waste entirely into the garbage yeah um no I love the idea behind the dog food launcher I love that all of it comes back into play later on and can be transformed right. into milk uh, projectiling sort of things. The scene of them going through the store and on bikes and just like yeah. running their hand through all the milk it's and incredible. having it fall into their basket. Like I wanted to, I wanted to do Me that too. as a kid this, because of this movie. This movie is surprisingly well foreshadowed. Like it has a really good like dropping of little things structures will Structured come in like well. yeah uh when Ernest says that they need a, the higher ground and they figure out that they need a tree house it took me a second to go oh and then they're gonna get that tree and then when it turns out milk is what is needed and then I was like oh that's right in the first scene where we saw the troll a bunch of milk spilled and the troll ran away oh my god and like it's yeah. shockingly consistent but I think again Going back to the art of self-defense. A <laughs> <laughs> movie heavily inspired by Ernest Scared Stupid. I mean, now I'm realizing all the things. There's a funny thing with this movie where I'm sure there were a lot of people who said that they guessed that the milk was the, like, the, the Achilles heel, heel. But, like, so, like, the art of self-defense, they're like, well, I knew he was going to use the gun sort of thing. And then you're like, well, the... Did you know that there was going to be a finger going through the hole and that that was going to be like a thing on top of a thing? Like there's a surprise and maybe it's not going to surprise everybody, but then there's going to be something else that nobody saw coming. Nobody saw Ernest kissing. Absolutely no. not. That's the, that is that uh, the mother's care, that part. So it takes something and makes you think like, oh, that's the thing. But then there's one more thing on top of it. And I like that structure too, that they kind of handled. So, so for context for the listener, we were just talking about a grocery store where these kids are riding through on their bikes and they're knocking milk into their cart and beyond. Mm. And then Ernest is kissing this troll. So they have a, a tome, <laughs> this big book with instructions on how to defeat the trolls but they are saddled for most of the second act because they don't realize that two of the pages in this book are stuck together. <laughs> like that episode of Friends where Rachel <laughs> makes the trifle. It, Just trust incredible. me. It is yeah, I, 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 do, I do trust you. But when they eventually <laughs> unstick these pages, they realize that two things will defeat the trolls. The first is a four-letter word that is M-I, indiscernible third letter, K. Uh, and the and the second uh, troll killing uh, mechanism is uh, a, a mother's the heart of a child and a mother's care. Right, right, right. A mother's care. Um, so anyway, the reason they're riding around the grocery store is because they need milk because milk will kill the troll. But Ernest, being a purveyor of foods the world over, first concludes that it is not milk but. Miak, which is a Bulgarian yogurt-like drink, which does not exist in the real world. It was invented for this movie, but uh, 
Yeah, Ernest gets a jar of Miak, and he thinks that's the solution and that it's going to kill the troll, and the troll whips his ass and kicks him into a popcorn machine. But Miak, I think, is something that was really cemented in the cultural consciousness as a result of Ernest Scared Stupid. It's never the same. <laughs> the fact that they... I didn't know that it wasn't real. Like, I, I just assumed it was something I'd never heard of. The fact <laughs> that they were so dead set on milk being the thing that they couldn't figure out anything else to fit there that was actually real. So they invented something and just said, oh, that's that's going to be fine. That's yeah. actually really funny to me that they didn't just say, you know what? Like, maybe we can figure out something other than milk that we can actually have Ernest think is the thing that he's after. But no, they just said, fuck it. Let's let's invent something. I also Miak. love that Ernest immediately concludes immediately. that it's Miak. It's not like he he's not cycling through. He's, he's not, not thinking Google. mink, merc. He just immediately says Miak, and, and he couldn't be more certain. That is the confidence of Ernest P. Worrell that uh, I so admire. <laughs> I love once they do finally figure out that it is milk, the different way like the different types of milk and the different ways to spread it <laughs> is great because you've got uh ice cream is the first right ice cream is well i think yeah ice cream is the first once they figure out that it's the thing but then they do uh squirt guns full of milk i believe there's a yogurt project they use yogurts in the dog food cannon uh at one point uh the the lead child who looks like a young Matt Rogers but isn't Kenny yeah sure it turns out I don't pay attention to to characters names in movies I am somebody's mom As and I just don't know the names from of our anybody episode. <laughs> yeah I thought that was a bit I was doing for swingers but I think I just watch <laughs> movies like a mom and don't pay attention to names but a uh, little Matt Rogers looking child lures a troll in front of a fan and pretends that he's about to get killed but then he just like ducks and tosses powdered milk into the fan and sprays it all over the troll to make him dissolve and it rules it whips ass i think my my favorite is when the little girl is being attacked in the truck and the kid walks up crouches beside the truck opens up a carton of milk and like basically pretends like yeah, he's yeah, throwing yeah. a grenade it's... in the truck and it doesn't land. Like, there's no milk exits that carton whatsoever. He could have just poured it over the guy, but he just, like, tosses the carton in, and immediately the <laughs> troll disappears, and the little girl's okay. But, uh, I mean, you gotta... The you gotta movie's got moments, pretty well-directed action. There's, there's another one that I love, mm -hmm. which is that Ernest just takes a big swig of milk and then spits it in a troll's face. And the troll then melts very violently on camera. I, I, when you look at the troll mess after they've been milked, it's gory. It's gross. It's really gross. <laughs> I love that. That whole sequence is incredible. There's some really violent, weird stuff. Like, there's a troll who takes a revolver and empties the bullets yes, into its the mouth. mouth. Yeah, let, okay, so a troll empties an officer's revolver into its mouth six rounds, and then another troll with a giant mallet whacks it on the head violently, <laughs> and each time this troll gets hit on the head, it fires a live round from its mouth as if shot from a fucking magnum. It's amazing. It's like Gremlins yes. meets Critters, 
now that I think about it, there's definitely that element of Gremlins going on too, especially Gremlins 2. Yeah, yeah. That one's, I mean, again, that's something that would not happen in a movie now, right. especially for kids. Uh, but it works so well. And every single one of the adults is in immediate danger of losing their life. Whereas all the kids throughout this movie are just like, uh, trolls, like, let's ride our bikes to the next thing. And we're going to shoot them with squirt guns. And yeah. Am I crazy or is the truck troll attack kind of cool and well staged? It is. I also noticed, though, this time that it is on a sound stage. So, like, when they tr- when they go in front of the truck, you realize that the road kind of just ends. Mm. There's, like, a wall there. Oh, yeah. So that, that was interesting to see. But that that is a very well-staged action scene, especially for a movie of this caliber. Like, something that you would expect to be less than. And it actually does... They do a great job. And then, of course, Rimshot's ability in the in the scene just makes it that much better the dog that plays rimshot is incredible at driving yeah <laughs> did anybody look up the imdb on the dog was he like also wishbone or anything that we should be aware of no but do you, I, I, do you want do you want to pull it up quickly with my rig i don't know if i can oh that's fine there's <laughs> no there's a shot in that scene that i think is really cool which is just to explain to you what we're talking about, there's a scene where Ernest is driving his truck and the troll appears on the vehicle and attacks him. And Ernest ends up out of the truck and in the bed while Rimshot is driving, fighting this troll. And there's the shot I remember from when I was a kid because it's so much more cinematic than anything else in the movie. There's this wide through the trees as Ernest and the troll are fighting in the back of the truck that looks really cool. Um, I don't know. This movie's got some good stuff in it. <laughs> found the dog. Its name <laughs> okay. is Barkley. Hell yeah. And it was in Ernest Scared Stupid, Ernest Goes to Jail, Clean Slate, which I've never seen. Yeah, no, and then just random other things. So not mm. Wishbone, though. So two Ernest movies, and I think they were the only two movies that Rimshot appears. That dog well. is really good at its job. The dog is a star. It's a great dog. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to go pay my respects. I guess, yeah, there's no way that dog is alive, uh, given when this movie no. came out. No, no. It's kid it's it's kids if it hadn't, you're probably dead too. Right Riley's Riley's already in hot water for dead dogs in his movies, and here Number he brings that energy killer. to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think uh, a thing that I love is that there are people out there who, if you kill a dog in a movie, even if it's off screen, they'll immediately give you like half a star <laughs> on Letterboxd. And uh, I've, yeah, I've gotten my fair share. I'm going to make a controversial statement that we might cut because I don't want to be murdered in my sleep or something. But there are some people whose animal loving isn't actually about loving animals. It's about loving things they can control. Interesting. And being superior to whatever else is in their room. The people who are like, I like blank. Like, I like horses more than people. It's like, no, you like controlling horses more than you like dealing with people as equals. Should should we should we energies. save this for the Cujo episode? Yeah. And what happens when the dog, when the dog fight back? <laughs> I don't know if Cujo is a bar movie because it's all it's so it's like a bottle episode. Yeah, it's not it's not as um visual. I would say. 
You know what? At the at the end of the day, any movie you watch in a bar is a bar movie. That is that is actually the saving grace of this podcast premise, which is that any anything <laughs> when when we're talking to to future guests and and friends uh, who are going to be on the show, and they're asking us questions: Does this work? Does that work? The answer is always yes. I think there are, <laughs> there are titles that are better. I think Ernest Scared Stupid is proving to be a great one. And I think, Riley, you've made really, really strong arguments for it. But I think any movie that is is eminently discussable, that has things to chew on, is a good, good bar movie. Any movie that makes you yell, I feel like. If something makes you hoot and holler, like I screamed out loud when Eartha Kitt does one single take to camera at the end of the movie, I went, <laughs> like the noise that came out of me is not <laughs> interpretable by man. I was yelling yeah. inside because I, I tried to imagine I was watching this at a bar and I didn't want to get kicked out. Oh, I like that. You were very polite by yourself in your apartment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, uh, I, I an admission that i have to make in, in preparing for this podcast i hadn't seen this movie in almost 20 years i would say and so i watched it last weekend and i i ate an edible beforehand and i thought that would be fine and that that would be you know circumstances under which i could take in Ernest scared stupid and i was wrong it is a it is a, a, a visceral movie, um, and and there were lots of. I said I yelled that too. Sorry. <laughs> you yelled, "This is visceral." No, I did. I said this movie is visceral in that there's so much viscera because it yeah. was when like those the troll babies are dropping from the tree, and there's like they're just so covered in mucus, and it's extremely nasty. Yeah. Uh, I yelled, "This is visceral." That yeah that. That's one of the things that really connected for me. But but when I watched this movie very stoned, there were all of these moments that were just like they, they bloomed and they were huge and, and, and really dynamic. But I had to watch the movie again today entirely sober just to to have a very clear and recent recollection of, of everything that happened. And I don't regret watching it twice in one week. I watched it. The reason it came up, honestly, is... Uh... I think I watched it near the beginning of COVID when I was home alone, like everyone else was, and just had to, like, wanted to watch things. And for some reason, I wanted to revisit that one and did it really late one night, drunkenly, and had such a good time with it. And I was like, oh, man, if this was at, <laughs> if that was at a bar, that would be really fun. So that's how the idea came about. It, yeah. it is a good I, I think it weirdly is a good movie to watch by yourself. And obviously it's like a movie that would be fun to watch with friends. But yeah, I watched it alone and it really did it for me. I would love to see this in an Alamo Drafthouse yes. sort of screening, like a repertory uh, screening or uh, Cinespia. It would be the least packed Cinespia screening, <laughs> I think, I've, yeah. like ever. Like, no one would buy tickets to it, but it would be the funnest crowd of people who actually did want yeah, to Yeah, absolutely. Well, what would the uh, photo booth be for that one? It would be... <laughs> I, I mean, think you would be inside a garbage truck, and they would have props <laughs> to help you, like, uh, defend yourself against the compactor. There definitely would need to be Boy Scout Rimshot, right. too. Yeah. Ugly little boy. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, and, and maybe this is just me being inside and missing my favorite spots, but I think the best way to see Ernest Scared Stupid would be 
one of those Saturday or Sunday kitty matinees at the New Beverly mm. with yes. like a really crackly fucked up film print. And you go to El Coyote first and you have maybe two margaritas and then you walk down the street and just sit down very heavy in your chair <laughs> and let that movie wash over you. I, I, There is nowhere I would rather be right now than a tiny bit drunk watching Ernest Scared Stupid with the crowd. And I do wonder... If kids now watch this movie, if it would hit them the same way that it did us, I venture to say that it would. I think that they not only would enjoy the comedy of it, but I think that they would be very scared by it, but in a way that's probably exciting to them. Yeah. I think kids today, more even than previous generations, are aware that there are that the adults that are allegedly in charge of them do not know what is going on, yeah. are not twigged into the things that will imminently kill them. Uh, that disconnect between the generations is stronger than it ever was. So I think that that the way that the the kids know about the trolls and the parents refuse to understand the trolls would hit even harder. I would say. Yeah, I'm now thinking about who I would cast as Ernest in the remake. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sad. I, I but in in a fun way. <laughs> on, on one hand, I don't want to have that conversation, but I also find that fascinating, and I yeah. do want to know, Riley, who. Who would you cast? Who who could step in to the shoes of Jim Varney? I I don't know that we have, at least in terms of like the stars that we would need to bankroll a movie of this caliber, remake wise. I don't think we have the physical actors right. to do that. Mm-hmm. The, that and that's the thing that I think I I admire most about him is just how his face is doing things that other people's faces can't do. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if I have the answer to that. And maybe, maybe that'll be something that we, we come back to when I, when I revisit you guys someday. I, I disagreed so strenuously, but then the minute I thought about it, I was like, what about Michael Sheen? I mean, he's got his, uh, yeah, I can totally see it. He's got the Shakespeare training. His, his he comedy th- has a weird body. What, what movie is that? Um, oh, damn it. Not take shelter. But the You're one thinking Michael he, Shannon. Shannon. I'm thinking Sh- Michael Shannon could actually do it pretty well, too. Both good. Because this like, Both. weird comedic Michael thing Shannon that he does. Oh, oh, no, you're totally man. right. I mixed it. Michael Shannon as Ernest. <laughs> it's, it's funny because you, you, you mistaking Shannon move. for Sheen has actually made me consider something that I would never consider, which is... Imagine a movie where Michael Shannon is a garbage man who is friends only with the children with in town and helps them fend off trolls. That to Dude, me is... I want to see that movie. That is a green light proposition. I I love that my brain went there because it oh wanted to go there. That's, that's something I never would have considered, and I think that's a movie. That a movie. Oh, man. That is a movie. This has been so great, Riley. I'm so glad you came on. Where, uh, where, where can we find you on social media outside of your movies? What should we follow? Uh, well, it's really easy because I'm old enough that I was on Instagram and Twitter basically when they started. So I got my actual name. So it's R-I-L-E-Y-S-T-E-A-R-N-S, Riley Stearns. What, is, what does that spell? Riley Stearns uh, <laughs> uh, on both Instagram and Twitter. Um, a f- couple of years ago, I stopped using my Twitter for a little while and I disabled it. And I had several people, all people, yeah, 
all like under 18 year old girls emailing me asking me if they could have Riley Stearns on Twitter uh, because they were Riley Stearns 8 or Riley Stearns like <laughs> 2000 whatever <laughs> and uh, and so no but now I kept it I kept it for myself and I'm glad that I did and I am on there now so whereas Ernest cares about the youth Riley does not he just wanted to keep his fucking Twitter account <laughs> Um, and uh, it will we'll keep our eyes peeled for your new movie. Art of Self-Defense is on Hulu right now. Is that right? Art of Self-Defense is on Hulu, and Faults is on Amazon Prime, and hopefully Duel will be in theaters early 2021, or uh, 22. Amazing. Bethy, are you, are you on Twitter, and does this show have a Twitter? This show has a Twitter, which is Movie Bar Pod. I'm on Twitter at BethyBSQU and on Instagram at Bethy Squires. And if you want to buy my book that I wrote in a bunch of bars, it's called The Ant Queen and the Bounty Hunter. And you can just Google that. It has pretty good SEO. It'll take you right to where you buy it. You, you should absolutely do that. And I'm on Twitter at handsome underscore pal. And I don't know. My Instagram's just for me. So uh, thanks. Thanks so much for listening. Wait, do we have a sign off? Uh, have we had one before? You don't have to leave, but you can't stay here. <gasps> don't do that. <laughs> Riley, no, but that's good because it's what people say at bars. Maybe you should. In the Busan closing time. But I was going to say, maybe you do play closing time, though. That that does actually. Movie time. <laughs> Movie time. <laughs> I think we've, we've said this in some version in every iteration of the podcast so far, but... This this podcast is a brief respite from the world outside. So it is true. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Because you can't stay anywhere because time is fleeting. I hope you're learning a lot. Thanks for listening. Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins, with show art by Lindsay Farrell, and that theme you hear at the top, that's Quentin Mulligan. Mm-hmm.